Good evening and welcome to our e-broadcast. I'm so glad that you have joined us tonight and we're excited as we continue this series of looking at different leadership principles and concepts. We're calling this e-lead. And when we talk about e-lead, we're talking about Christian leadership during a time of crisis. And we are so blessed to have a special guest with us tonight that I know you're going to enjoy this interview. We are happy that Reverend Scott Graham is with us tonight. Reverend Graham uh, is the secretary treasurer of the United Pentecostal Church International. The United Pentecostal Church International is a religious organization that is made up of over 5 million constituents around the world and more than 42,000 churches, daughter works, and preaching points. Prior to this role, he served as the pastor of the Sanctuary Church in St. Louis. He's also been the uh, international youth president of the United Pentecostal Church and has also been the, the Missouri District uh, superintendent. So he has served in many different offices and he's a much sought after camp speaker and conference speaker and uh, is a great leader to uh, ministers and pastors in the United Pentecostal Church. And we are so glad that he is with us. Uh, Reverend Graham, welcome. So glad you're here. Thank you. It's a delight. Very glad to be joining in uh, today from afar. Well, it's great to uh, great to have you. You're looking good. And let me just start out by asking, is, is everybody good there, your family and your home, everybody's safe and sound? Yes, thank you. Yes, we're we're all doing quite well here at Camp Quarantine. We're just doing great. So, yeah, no, we're we're well. Family's all well. Just scattered across the country in various places where we live, but everyone's well and safe, and I'm thankful. Good, good. And you're in St. Louis, Missouri, right? Yes, that's correct. And how is Missouri dealing with this? Are you guys still on lockdown, or are you starting to come out of it? Just at the threshold of coming out of it, the governor has begun to uh, moderate the. Uh, stay-at-home order effective this coming Monday, uh, May 4th, will be the first day that some of the restrictions begin to lift. St. Saint, uh, St. Louis and St. Louis County, uh, the city and county are separate entities here. They um, are maintaining their orders for a little while longer. St. Charles County, which is adjacent to us here, which is where our headquarters building is, uh, is following the state pattern of beginning to lift the restrictions beginning on Monday in a very phased-in approach. Yeah, absolutely. It seems like a lot of different states and uh, municipalities are trying to find a way to kind of get back to what we think is going to be normal, but we think it's going to be a new normal, and certainly it'll be a phased-in approach to it all. But, you know, as you talk with uh, pastors and ministers and leaders on a, on a daily basis, what do you hear from uh, Christian leaders in terms of how they're staying creative and staying connected to their congregations? Yeah, you know, this is, has pushed us out of our comfort zone, uh, many of us, no question. Uh, all of a sudden, things that, that I've heard many guys say I probably should have been doing all along, right. I was forced into doing. Yeah. Um, the vast majority of individuals that I'm aware of are using some kind of live streaming uh, technology, or if not live, at least uh, recorded services uh, for their church services to to stay connected to their congregations during this time. But many of you know uh, Zoom calls or Microsoft Teams, if an office staff is using that, a lot of video conferencing for all manner of, of uh, meetings. I, I know, by way of example, just this past week, um, Dr. Bernard had all of us, or had uh, those of us who were on the executive committee. So for those of us, the United Pentecostal Church, it was Brother himself, my, um, myself, Brother Gleason, and Brother Mooney, uh, together with small groups of district superintendents online and just have a little tag-in time. And I commented in our meetings that, you know, it's one of those things we probably need to continue, 
even after this is over because it was so valuable and it, it just was very non-intrusive. It's easy to do. So I think it's forced a lot of us to uh, kind of get outside our, our comfort zone, perhaps. And really, I think many churches have begun certain practices of communication and, and com- visibility in their community that are likely going to continue even when the perhaps the necessity of it is passed. Right. You know, it's amazing because the irony of this, as we talk about social distancing and you know, you see cars and parking lots, you know, of drive-in services. They're parking, you know, uh, six feet away, and people are trying to gather in, in uh, you know, small groups. And, you know, we're trying to do this social distancing. Everybody's kind of in a bubble. And, and uh, certainly a lot of places that we have gathered before are all under restrictions. But, you know, what's interesting about this is even though we're in the middle of this social distancing, does it seem like to you that in some ways we've been brought closer together? Absolutely. I don't think there's any question that we've become more intentional about checking on one another within within the framework of a local church. I think it's it's the it's pastors have just said, "Boy, we've got to do something to stay connected," and so they've been intentional about phone calls and text messages and so forth, probably to a greater measure. I think in the past it was easy to say, "Well, I don't I don't need to text them. I'll see them Wednesday. Or I'll see them Sunday." Uh, it's forced that. I talked to these district superintendents. Many of them said that they've been much more intentional about calling and reaching out and said and in some unique fashions, their districts, the ministers in their districts, are more connected right now than they were before. Previously, our connectivity might have been, well, we see each other at camp, at district conference, at some fall retreat, and then maybe we'll occasionally call. This has prompted online prayer meetings and online tag-in sessions that, yeah, in a very odd fashion, bubbled though we may be, it has produced a level of connectivity, I think, because of our intentionality. Yeah. Yeah, you know, it seems like we saw this after 9-11, and we've seen it during the Gulf War and all. It seems like whenever we have a a common enemy, it sort of brings us all together. And, of course, as Christians, we, we see the invisible enemy as sin, but we also recognize that we have this example before us right now that a pandemic is something that's affecting not just our country, but I think it's 184 countries that are affected by it. And, and we see how really, how close-knit our world really is, that our whole community is our world, but our, our humanity, it seems like we become more uh, understanding, more civil toward one another uh, when we have this, this common enemy uh, that we're all fighting. When we look at this as a common enemy and this invisible enemy, I think, as the president of the United States has described it and others have described it, and we look at that as sort of a template over the, the top of us as Christian leaders, what do you think it, the Lord is really speaking to us about as Christians that we should be uh, doing and becoming during this time? Well, uh, there's a couple things that come to mind in that regard. Uh, in one sense, we're being taught the value, uh, and again, I'm talking from a, a perspective of a, of a child of God. Sure. We're being taught the value of subjugating my rights for someone else's good. Um, you know, right now, my wife and I feel fine, and we we would appear to be very healthy. And there's a part of me that's, look, if I want to go you know, take a walk in a park, why should that right be forfeited on my part? And yet the reason is, for the good of someone else. Um, it, it's to spare the possibility of my spreading that infection. You know, my my wife's parents live near to us, uh, but we have uh, been very careful not to go into their home uh, 
to protect them. It's 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 kind of forced us into this mindset of my choices in life need to be governed at least to the measure they can be about what's good for somebody else. Well, that's a very strong uh, New Testament principle uh, in in the scriptures that my choices, my personal liberties can't be exercised to the harm or hurt of someone else. Mm-hmm. So I think that's one lesson in terms of the Christian walk, the Christian life, that this has really brought clear, that on occasion uh, it's not just about what my rights are, it's about what's good for the greater community. In the church, if we if we could maintain that perspective year-round and regardless of circumstances, it certainly would make the church a stronger and more welcoming environment at all times. If If every choice that I make is filtered through how is this going to affect someone else? Yeah. Yeah, that's so true. You know, when we talk about this pandemic and we talk about all of us as Christians trying to find a way to, to turn our homes into churches, you know, and uh, yeah. it really should we should have been there long before. But at least to your point, we've been more intentional about it and maybe more focused on it. And we've been forced into that. But, you know, when we look at all of us uh, trying to make our our homes uh, much more a, a place of worship as we we gather. And of course, we're trying to harness social media, the internet, and all these different things. When we look around us and we see this, do you think that this is part of what the Christian community should be doing? Is is taking a leadership role during this time, and 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 not just uh, broadcasting during this season, but also looking for ways to how we can receive from all of these different. Um, messages that are going forth because I think there's more uh, speaking and ministering and going on on the internet now than there has been in a long time, if ever. Well, I, I think that's. I don't think there's any question <laughs> of that. Uh, you know, my wife and I on su- on Sunday routinely attend about eight, seven or eight churches. <laughs> you know, it's, it's the kind of thing that your pastor would have got on to you about a church. Now all of a sudden we're. Uh, you know, on any given Sunday morning, especially with time zone differentials, I can I can visit one in every in every time zone in the course of four hours. Right. Uh, yeah, I do think it, it has um, the, the wealth of available resources and the dearth of our ability to physically congregate have for those who, for those who will let it, it, it it's produced and is producing a, a profound spiritual hunger. We miss the connect the, the collective worship encounter there's no question of that there's we all those of us any of us who are part of a, of a, of a, of a vibrant church realize there's nothing that quite substitutes for that collective worship encounter but i will say this the danger of those collective worship encounters is that i can just get carried along with the tide i clap my hands because everybody else claps their hands i step up around the altar because everybody else does i go pray at the altar and pastor gets done preaching because well that's what everybody's doing and i just kind of get carried along with the tide of someone else's spiritual appetite and 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 a social desire to fit in this has stripped that away and it's reduced it back down to scott graham how hungry are you for god how much do you want to touch god how much do you want to hear from god and so it, it, I think in many ways it's strengthening us if we'll allow it to, because the, the props have been kicked out from under me. The the church worship props have, have been kicked out. I can, I can, because if I choose to, I can just sit in the living room, even if I go to eight churches online and really do nothing and not engage. Nobody's there to watch me. Nobody's there to see me, uh, with the exception of family members. But I would just offer to those of you who, who do have. Uh, still have children in your homes and still have 
those who are looking to you as an influential example, moms and dads, let those kids see in your home that worship is something that's driven by your relationship with God and not just your attendance in a corporate worship setting. If they see that you worship actively when nobody's there to watch you, pastor's not going to see you, there's no social pressure, as it were, to fit in in a worship service, and they still see genuine worship flowing out of you, you're teaching them something very, very powerful and significant in that moment. So while we certainly miss, and I, just like everybody else, I can't wait to get back to those collective worship experiences, the, the benefit of this is, it, it's it's stripped away from me every um, everything except what's your hunger, what's your desire, how bad do you want to interact with Jesus Christ, and and it's it's kind of brought that into clear focus by by how we respond. So I, I would just say you know that that in these in these online experiences that we're viewing and watching and engaging in, it, it's it's a it's a pretty nice mirror to kind of give us a glimpse of our spiritual appetite. Yeah, that's so true. Do you think when we talk about leadership and we're talking about leading during a time of crisis, of course, all of us in our homes, we see this as a unique opportunity. What do you think are some ways that we can really, you know, to your point, put that mirror up in front of us and not just us, but our families, but but also sort of harness the technology that we have to to lead uh, maybe others, unsafe family members and friends and people that uh, maybe we've been connected with now that we haven't been in a long time just because we, it seems like we've just sort of hit the pause button and everything has slowed down. And, and in some ways, it's been a gift because it allows us to reestablish those connections. Do you feel like we should also be taking advantage of this season to witness and share the gospel as well? Oh, absolutely. I, I think we'd, we'd, we'd err greatly if we didn't. I mean, we might as well just face it. The world's been shaken. Yeah. Uh, by this, like you said, this is a worldwide situation. None of us could have imagined anything like this. Uh, and, and all of a sudden, the, the, the economic security that we were enjoying, the, everything has just been rattled. Well, in those moments, people begin to look for something higher than themselves, even if they don't know what it is or what to look for. Their, their world is shaken. They're looking for something that's stable. They're looking for something that has a measure of, of, of security to it. And if, if those individuals who don't have that relationship with Jesus Christ, can see in us the settledness, the security, the confidence, the calm assurance, the peace of God that they know is lacking in their life. There is what, I guess what I'm saying is that this present situation affords us an incredible opportunity to demonstrate the contrast between a life that is grounded in the secure faith of Jesus Christ and one who lacks that footing. Right. I'm not talking about putting on a show just to, to try to impress someone. I'm just, I'm merely saying that if in this season, our hunger after God can only deepen and become more profound and the spirit of God can resonate in us. The, the ability for our family members to be able to see, for our neighbors to be able to see in us a calm and settled assurance that says, you know what, I know this world's a little shaken, but that's really okay because my hope was never in this world anyway. And if they can see that in, in a sincerity and a, and a genuine demonstration of, of God's grace and operation in our lives, they're looking for that right now. My neighbors right now are looking for something that is stable and secure and settled. And, and there's, I'm afforded an incredible opportunity to demonstrate that to them right now because it, it's just, we, we have 
we have an element to draw on as children of God that our that our world doesn't have, and it is it is in, in can be demonstrated in stark contrast in such a season. Yeah, you know, I was talking with a friend of mine that pastors up north a few days ago, and he said, "I'm a little concerned." I said, "About what?" He said, "I'm concerned that when we start to go back to having church, that." People have gotten out of the habit of going to church. He said, my wife was telling me the other day, I've really been enjoying not having to go to church on Sunday. I go to <laughs> Dunkin' Donuts with my daughter, <laughs> and we come back, and we watch yeah. the service online, and it's been really nice. And yeah. uh, he goes, I'm not, I'm not sure if I can get my family back to church. Do you? <laughs> Uh, do but you think, let wear pajamas at the of the night. <laughs> do you think there's a, a a danger that we've had so much emphasis on us turning our homes into churches that that there maybe we will get out of the habit and not have a desire to go back to the house of God? Do you see that as a a possible pitfall for the church? No, I, I suppose there could be isolated cases of that. I can only speak to my own experience and those of the church you know with whom I I typically congregate. For every one individual that might capitalize on that to stay away, I hear 50 comments of, I can't wait to be back together with my church family. Yeah. So I, I, I don't see that as a significant risk, at least locally. There may be some settings like that where, where it becomes um, isolated incidents, I suppose. But as, as an overall trend, I haven't, I haven't seen that concern. I've, I've seen a lot more hunger and appetite for the, the strength of getting back together again. Yeah. You know, one of the things we've seen down here in Florida, we've been doing drive-in services, is that we have people that are coming to the drive-in services that we never saw uh, oh. come into the sanctuary. And yeah. and we thought, well, maybe, they, you know, it's, it's, it's less intimidating because they're in their car and all. But I think part of it is the season that we're in, that people are hungry and to know really, you know, get right with God. We had people just come off the street and come in and want to get baptized, just say, hey, I know I need to get right. So uh, to your point, I think that hunger is going gonna, is gonna to boil over as we go back into, uh, into our buildings and all. But, you know, when we talk about that, what do you see the new normal as being? Because when we come back into our churches, we're going to have all of these things that we've been doing now for, let's say, two, three or four months. And now we come back in, and I don't think things are going to just go back to the way they were before. But going forward, what do you think the church should try to position or all of us as spiritual leaders, what should we do going forward to to harness what we've learned, uh, to come back to our gathering, but also to use this season to elevate us to the next level spiritually? Yeah, well, I think what, what everybody on, on an individual level and then pastors for congregations need to take a real hard look at, let, let's say, hypothetically, let's say, you know, this, this loosens up and in another couple months, we're back to kind of normal services in most parts of the country. Right. Okay. So it's lasted at that point, what, four or five months. I think a real good analysis of what are we better at today than we were four months ago? Gotcha. If that's, if that's mutual care by members checking on each other or, or the leadership structure of the church being very intentional about checking on each other, is that our, our willingness to, uh, I suspect there's a number of people who have been very comfortable inviting neighbors to church in this fashion that they might have been not as comfortable inviting them to church as we knew it. 
what have we gotten better at? Are, are we better at, at uh, you know, like I said, this kind of mutual care? Are we better at getting the gospel out in the community? Are we better at talking to uh, the unchurched about the opportunities our church affords? Are we better at having worship encounters in our homes? What have we done better in the last four months than we were doing before this started? Whatever that list is, let's keep doing that. Right. Let's be intentional about not going, ah, okay, we can stop that now. We're back to having church twice a week. Uh, what is it that we've done well? Well, then let's, let's capitalize on that going forward. If we've gotten more, uh, comfortable with the idea of approaching an unchurched person about worshiping with us online, then it's not that big a step then to stretch that comfort to say, why don't you come worship with us now that we're back together? If we have gotten more comfortable because of watching online services with our family, of worshiping collectively in our living room, then let's capitalize on that to continue those worship encounters with our family, even if it's not a service streaming over the screen at that moment. If we've gotten better at being intentional about calling members of the church body and checking on them and checking on elders and tagging in with people and texting and social media to just stay connected with the body of Christ. Well, let's not lose that just because we're now coming together on Sunday morning and Wednesday evening. Whatever those things, those skills that this situation forced us to get better at, boy, we would be wise as leaders to say, okay, let's continue to build on those. This situation has stretched us in certain areas. We don't want to go back to normal if normal wasn't as good in certain areas as it is right now. Right. You know, when we look at this from a biblical perspective, what do you think the Lord is positioning us for as a church? You know, I've, I've tried to give a lot of thought to that. Um, of course, I'm not in the, in the same shoes that you are presently as far as pastoring a lo- local congregation. But I've tried to ponder that a little bit. And the thing I keep coming back to is I, I had a wonderful moment a, a few weeks ago. I really almost got tickled at it. A young man, he's a young preacher, um, you know, my guess is he probably hasn't hit 30 yet. I don't know exactly. Probably late 20s. He called me, and he was so sincere. I, I didn't even have the heart to kind of rebuke him. But he said, uh, he said, Brother Graham, I was just calling. He said, have you ever seen anything like this in your lifetime? And I was like, dude, how old do you think I am? <laughs> I wanted to respond and say, well, you know, I, my, I was just a child when the Spanish flu hit in, in 1918. But I do remember it muted the World War One victory celebration somewhat. That's why I wanted to respond. But of course, my, my response to him was just no. I, I I haven't. None of us have. And I keep hearkening back to that that phrase that Joshua used. The Lord, you know, through Joshua, gave instruction to the people when they're getting ready to cross over Jordan. And He says, "Now the Ark of the Covenant is going to is going to go, and you follow it. But but stay back." You know, stay back a thousand cubits because, and his explanation was, because you've never been this way before. Wow. He said, you, this is a brand new journey for you. You're about to go into the promised land. You're about to see new things, but you've never been this way before. So don't go crowding up there. Uh, stay back some distance where you, the point was, you're going to have to follow the Lord in this thing. That was the bottom line. You need God to set direction for you because you've never been this way before. I keep coming back to that. We have never been here before. And so while we can speculate and, and, and try to brainstorm and that's all smart and wise and every leadership team and every church ought to be, ought to be having brainstorming sessions where what is this going to look like? What are we going to do going forward? But, but ultimately I think we're going to have to recognize we have never 
been here before. And we're going to have to have the leading of God's spirit to navigate through this thing. But the good news, and this is what, what was so encouraged about that. It would be one thing if God had said that to Israel as they're first going into the wilderness. It would have been true then. You've never been here before. You're going to have to trust me. But that that expression was given to them at the very threshold of their promises being fulfilled. They are about to step into houses they didn't build, wells they didn't dig, olive trees they didn't plant, all that stuff. And it's at that moment that God says, now don't get scared. I know this is uncharted. I know you've never been here before. But, but all you got to do is follow me, and I'm going to lead you into some really wonderful things that have been promised to you for a long time. That's kind of what I'm holding on to right here. That, yeah, it's it's brand new, and, and we're we're all kind of, where are we? What's going to be next? How are we going to do this? But I hear this, this, this underlying seems to be this tone of God's voice saying, it's okay if you will trust me and follow me. You've never been this way before. Absolutely true. But I know what I'm doing. Follow me. And the, and on the on the backside of it are some really good things. I really genuinely believe that, you know, there's, there's a, a cynical uh, political phrase that they use in DC and in, in seats of power, never let a good crisis go to waste. Uh, and, and, and while I know that's, that's kind of cynical in, in the tone of the, of, of the political world, I get the same kind of sense that it'd be a shame if we allowed this crisis to go to waste, that God has to be saying to us, let's 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 accept this fact. It is not his will that any should perish. Right. He wants every living soul on this planet to hear and obey the gospel. Will they all? Of course not. We understand that. But he, that's his desire, and that's his will. It would be foolhardy for us to think that, A, that this situation blindsided him. He's not suddenly surprised by this and wondering what he's going to do. Right. He saw this coming. He knows where to lead us. And if I can stay humble enough and sensitive enough to follow him through this, if leaders of his church and ministries in his church can stay humble enough and sensitive enough to follow him through this time, I have to believe there's houses and wells and vineyards and all that stuff on the other side of this that we're going to walk into. And it's going to boggle our minds what God, the good that God does coming out of this. Don't be scared just because we've never been here before. That was what God told Israel right before their greatest moments of victory. Yeah, you know, fear is uh, interesting. It's kind of a two-edged sword. I think early on in March, a lot of us as ministers were feeling led to to speak against fear and fear not and all the examples of that that Jesus gave us in his ministry. But yet, as we go through this, we see that oftentimes fear uh, can drive people to a place of greater spiritual hunger. What role do you think fear uh, should play in, in, in all of us as Christians, in our hearts, and as leaders during this pandemic? Well, fear is a great short-term motivator. Okay. Love is a great long-term motivator. Gotcha. Uh, fear, fear has is is um, it's the beginning. Uh, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The Bible says, not the culmination of it. It's the beginning of it. Uh, you know, my wife is is mortified of mice. I don't just mean kind of, sort of doesn't like them. She's terrified. Just which I have told her on numerous occasions, I completely understand because you read in the paper every other day about somebody being mauled by a mouse. It happens routinely. So we laugh about that. But, you know, if there was a, if there were a mouse that, that, that like scampered into the, our living room right now, you all would hear her. Even if your computer was off, you could probably hear her. <laughs> yeah. 
But but if that mouse were captured, killed, and removed distantly from her, she's not scared anymore. Fear is proximity-related. Those things that you're scared of only have real effect on you when you're very, very close to them. When they are removed, the fear removes with it. Love, on the other hand, is not distance-connected. You still love those things even when they're not right up against you. Those, those that you love, you love whether they're with you or away from you. What you fear, you only fear when it's near you. So fear is a great motivator in the short term. It works really well, and, and there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with a fear of eternity or the uncertainty of, of life to drive someone to look for something that is stable, for something that is lasting, for something that brings them security. Fear, however, if that's the only motivator, if that's all that drives somebody to try to seek some kind of eternal connection, then the danger is as soon as the economy bounces back, as soon as there's a vaccine for the virus, as soon as whatever, as soon as the thing that, that was the, the impetus of the fear is removed, the fear fades with it and people drift back into their normal patterns. That our goal as, as spiritual leaders is to connect, is to get people connected from that. Okay. The fear of whatever drove you here now to a love relationship with Christ, because what I love will still maintain and still motivate me and still drive me really much more effectively. Uh, than fear does. Fear is frantic. Fear is a desperate something. Love is profound and deep. So there's nothing wrong. Absolutely. I mean, <laughs> you, you're, you're of my generation and I, I can remember moments that some of those dear elders preached messages on hell that were so, you know, your shoestrings were breaking out on fire. Right. Uh, drove me to an altar. Sure. And that's great. That's, that's a wonderful thing. And, 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 you know, all the questions about is this a sign of the coming of the Lord and all that? Well, it's certainly in keeping with the tone of what we know will be the signs of the coming of the Lord. It certainly points us toward that. So if that kind of fear compels a neighbor to be inquisitive or open to the gospel, if that kind of fear even drives those of us who have populated the pews in apathy to to a more aggressive and, and intentional hungering and seeking after God, that's wonderful. But just understand that if that fear doesn't translate, if it doesn't shift over to where, okay, I, I got, I really got to praying because I was scared. I'd lost my job and I didn't know where the money was going to come from. And boy, I really started praying because fear drove me to do that. Okay. But when the job comes back and the salary comes back, then you'll quit praying unless it makes the shift to now I have my time with him just because I love him. Now I communicate with him because I love him because that's, that's going to remain. So fear's great in the short term and, and based on proximity. But but love is the much more lasting and real motivation for what we should be doing for God. Yeah, yeah, so true. What would you say, Brother Graham, to a person that maybe is a, a friend but uh, maybe an unbeliever or doesn't have a relationship with God, as you mentioned, that has been able to really understand God in that loving relationship? And, and when they look around, they say, you know, I respect your walk with God. I respect that you're a believer, a person of faith. But I have a hard time understanding how a loving God would allow 60,000 people uh, in America to die. What, what do you do? Even if God didn't cause it, why would he allow it? How do you explain that? Well, I, I my answer to those kinds of questions, and, and, and it becomes even much more personal than 60,000. It's why did God let my my grandma died when she was 52 years old. It was, you know, why, why did my wife and I, we tried to conceive for years and we finally conceived a child and then she miscarried. Why? Well, I mean, there's a couple of answers to that number one, if you or I, either one ever completely come up with a perfect answer to those questions that start with why, yeah. 
we're going to write a book and, and retire very early. But, but in the larger sense, what I've just tried to explain to folks is that God's desire for this was that none of that ever be populated in it. His desire was paradise and perfection. It was man's choices to introduce sin and the consequences of sin into this life. That death and destruction and pain and suffering and heartache and all those things that are that are the attendant features of life here were never God's design. He designed the world to be free of those things. Man, succumbing to the temptation, introduced those elements into the world. The good news is that God is in the process and in the business of redeeming us from those things. That ultimately, we have the opportunity to be born into a kingdom where the culmination of that is an existence that is free of pain and suffering and tears and heartache again. We are unfortunately in the interim season between the fall of man and the complete redemption of this earth. We're living in that window in between the two. And that's kind of the theological answer. That doesn't necessarily make it any more comfortable for someone. But all all I I have used the, the argument, for lack of a better phrase, with people that the reality of life is, we're going to deal with suffering. The reality of life is we're going to deal with hurt. The reality of living here is we're going to deal with pain. Now, your question is, would you rather deal with that with God walking by your side or without? Are, would you rather deal with these things with the sheltering and comforting touch of an eternal God resident in your life and soul or without? Because you're going to deal with the same things either way. It, it, it won't matter. We're going to deal with these difficult seasons one way or another. So if I'm going to, I choose to walk through these things with the touch of a loving God whose desire is to redeem my life so that when this existence is done, I have an eternal home with him that is free of all this kind of suffering. Uh, That's been the approach I've tried to take. It's a very painful question for people to deal with. But I've tried to take the approach that just life is going to happen one way or another. I choose to let it happen to me with the security of our relationship with God, especially a God that really never wanted this for us in the first place. And man introduced sin into the world that has produced all these consequences. Yeah, absolutely. That's such a great response. You know, Brother Graham, when we look at these types of seasons, these seasons of uncertainty that that we're all facing together, do you think that God raises up certain individuals, uh, certain groups of people uh, to be... Um, intentionally purposed and placed uh, to be leaders during a time of crisis? In other words, do, do, do the times make the man or does the man make the times? Does God prepare leaders for such a time as this? I don't, I don't, I, I think the answer probably to both those questions are yes. I think God prepares a man. God positions an individual uh, and and then the seasons of life continue to develop him. The situations in which he uh, in which he grows hone and shape what God began. I think of Moses, for instance. God positions this baby, shelters that child for for several months, and then and then ultimately brings him into Pharaoh's household to be raised, educated, and and groomed and, and protected from the rigors of slavery that all of his families are enduring and the sickness and death that would have been attended in that kind of life. God positioned him for that, but then allowed 
the circumstances in which he was living, and those of you that are familiar with the story, of course, he has the conflict with the you know with the Egyptian. He flees because of that of that killing, and now he's out in the desert, and you have the burning bush and groomed by his father-in-law and all that for all those years in the desert. So God positioned him. God miraculously protected him so that he was positioned uh, to be ready to lead Israel through this time of crisis. But then the circumstances in which he lived honed his character, developed his skill set. Uh, so that he was more able to fulfill God's purpose in his life. But I, I think we'd be terribly uh, short-sighted not to believe that God positions people in seasons and times and locations for a work that he has them to do there. Yeah, absolutely. And he plans ahead. He plans ahead. I don't think God gets blindsided and then looks around and goes, okay, who, who could I get to help? I think he plan, You know, he lives outside of time, and so he plans ahead and positions people, absolutely. But then I think the circumstances he allows them to go through develop and hone them for the, the purpose to which he's called. You know, as Christians, do you think there's a mandate upon us uh, to lead and to influence uh, not just our our Christian friends, our congregations, our churches, but do you think there's also a mandate upon us to to serve the community uh, during a time of crisis? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's called the Great Commission. Yeah. It is our, our one mandate. Oh, we're given certainly instructions about strengthening the brethren. And, and you know, of course, that's, a, that's just part of being the body of Christ. But the commission that the body of Christ is given is to preach the gospel to every creature out there, not just to one another. And so, sure, I think now, if, if you're talking about, um, like, physically providing for needs or, or you know, distributing uh, groceries or goods or whatever, I do think the Bible teaches us a principle about, you know, attending first to those of the household of faith, that we, it would be wrong for us to feed uh, the hungry elsewhere if we legitimately had a family that was part of the church that was starving and we let them starve because we were feeding the sinners. I do think we're supposed to to attend to the needs of the household of faith, no question. But but once those needs are attended to, our job, our commission is to carry the gospel. Um, I, I, I want to, you know, I try to be balanced in this. Uh, I hope I can say this and, and, and not say anything I don't intend to say. Our job is to preach the gospel. Our job is not Boy, I, I don't, I don't want this to come across wrong. Our job is not just to dig wells in Uganda, right, unless, right. unless those wells are being used to draw people to a place where we preach the gospel to. Sure, and they are the 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 uh, with numerous great stories in various parts of the world where we've dug a water well in some country. It, it wasn't just so they got natural water. It's because they come there and then they have church services there and they reach them with the gospel. Our job is not just to go out and hand out quilts to the homeless unless we're also, you know, given them an opportunity to experience the gospel. If all we do is pass out water or food to hungry and, and don't capitalize on that new relationship and connectivity to, to lead them to the cross, we're, we're missing our commission. We're not, we're not primarily a social welfare organization. Right. We are a, we are a, a spiritual welfare organization. We are to, we are to declare the gospel. But the avenues by which we gain the opportunity to do that frequently involve practical, physical ways to serve our community. If that's, you know, out picking up trash in a park or, or delivering, delivering, you know, plates of homemade cookies to the emergency rooms for the workers that are there or whatever. I mean, the, declaring the gospel is the preaching of the cross. But the mechanisms we use to open the doors to do that. Again, we're we're not we're not 
church service centric right now. And so we can't just say, well, we're going to, you know, we're going to go give a plate of cookies to every firehouse and then put a tag on there saying, hey, we've got service at 10 o'clock Sunday. No, we probably don't. Now we have to be more intentional about how are we going to preach the gospel to them now? How are we going to have the opportunity to teach a Bible study to them right now? Uh, so, so the serving our community and blessing our community and, and serving the needs of people in a, in a social way or in the physical, practical, natural needs people may have is, is a wonderful and valuable thing. I just think we always have to keep in focus that that is not an end unto itself. That is a means to an end. We are seeking to build goodwill in our community, connection to our, to our, uh, our, our, the folks we live around, uh, visibility and name recognition for our church and our community, all so we can present them with the gospel. So, yeah, serve your community. Absolutely. I think it's, again, wonderful, unique opportunity to do that within the, within the, the health constraints that we're all dealing with right now. But, uh, sure, it, it would be a shame if the church wasn't visible right now being a positive influence in the greater Yeah, absolutely. I know you're a, an avid uh, reader and a great student of history. What uh, secular leaders inspire you when you look back to historical figures? You know, I read a book recently, and, and boy, now you're going to, do I have it right here? I might. <laughs> I really thought I might. This oh, I don't. I don't. I don't. I thought I might have it right here. Because now the title is going to escape me, and that frustrates. <laughs> you didn't warn me about this topic. <laughs> oh man, it was it was a, it was a fascinating book on uh, the leadership strengths of various individuals, and and where the author ran risk is that he didn't just select moral people. Mm. That is to say, one of the leaders that he gleaned um, positive. Uh, leadership skills from was Adolf Hitler, a horrific individual, almost unspeakable crimes against humanity committed by him and nothing to emulate in that regard. And yet he examined his leadership style and his ability to be uh, passionate about what he believed and communicate those beliefs. Uh, In the course of that, um, in the course of that book, one of the individuals that he lauded was uh, Winston Churchill. Mm -hmm. And, and of course, that's a much more laudable figure by and large. Uh, some personal flaws, but, but <laughs> nothing to compare to the previous example. Uh, but, but, uh, but Hitler, I mean, I'm sorry, uh, Churchill, the thing that struck me about his analysis of him was his ability to communicate calm, resolute strength in the middle of a crisis. I mean, any any student of history is aware of how he rallied the British nation in a time when it really appeared like they were going to fall, like the you know, like the rest of Western Europe had. Uh, and yet, his ability to, with calm assurance, rally the people to uh, a cause higher than himself, his ability both to express compassion for the sufferings they were enduring, and yet expressing enough faith and vision to keep them from wallowing in the sufferings that they were enduring uh, was, I think, is is very relevant to where we are right now. We can't ignore the difficulties that this is placing in people's lives and the human suffering and the loss and the sickness and individuals who have lost loved ones and all those kinds of things. We, we'd be ridiculous and, and calloused to, to not acknowledge the suffering and the difficulties and the financial pressures that people are doing, all that kind of stuff. And yet 
we do the church a disservice if we allow people to wallow in that discomfort rather than saying, hey, out of this, we can rise up and do something great. That's one of the things Churchill pulled off that I found very intriguing in that book. The title is going to come to me as soon as this thing is over. (laughs) It's not stand like Lincoln, speak like Churchill, is it? No. (laughs) Let me look at my phone a minute. I could probably find it. That's just, trust me. You can Google it. I know it. Those type of things get in my uh, head. And then yeah, I'll, it, it will I'll, not hit me right now. As soon as we go off the air, it'll come to you. You know, you were yeah. talking about Churchill, though, and I was thinking about, you know, your point that he was a flawed individual. And of course, we knew he was, you know, rude and crude. There's all kind of stories about uh, him as an individual. But yet, we have to look at his life and say, you know, he stood for what he believed in and in many ways was very instrumental in and making sure that fascism didn't take over Europe and other countries. So uh, he and, and also the, the way that he was understanding of uh, the fact that that uh, there was there was a uh, uh, supernatural hand on Israel mm-hmm. and was a part of that the British initiative, which we knew ended up being the, uh, the 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 lines that were drawn for Israel to have a nation. And and uh, I read in, in history about Churchill that he was a person that, that, that read the Bible and, and saw how God used King Cyprus, who was Cyrus, at a, at a crucial time in Israel's history. So all of that was a, a long lead-up to this very short question. <laughs> Do you think that God can use flawed individuals for spiritual purposes? Ooh, if he can't, we're all in trouble. <laughs> Absolutely. You know... We would never want, I mean, it's a larger theological principle that you never want to allow the grace of God to become an excuse to sin. Right. Well, in in the same fashion, I don't want the fact that God is willing to use a flawed individual to make me complacent about my flaws. Uh, I need to seek to be better and greater and and improve and and always, 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 and not just accept or rely on the fact that God is willing to use flawed individuals to accept personal character flaws or integrity flaws myself. I should always seek to hone those out. But there is no question. One need only search the book uh, to find that every great leader in there has got some character flaw. I mean, it, name them. You, you go through the, you know, Hebrews 11, the heroes of faith, and, and, and just almost without exception, everyone you name, you can go, yeah, but he did so-and-so. Yeah, yeah, but he, you know, he did this. I mean, Joshua's a great leader, but he didn't clean all the enemies out of Canaan. David's a great leader, but there is this little matter of Bathsheba. Abraham's father of the faithful, but he has this little propensity to lie about his wife's identity. Uh, you know, Moses, you know, great leader, but he did murder that Egyptian. Uh, I mean, I can go on and on and on. Right. Uh, every one of them has their moments. And yet God, I think probably in, in, in one very real sense, that probably helps ensure the fact that he's the only one that gets the glory for what gets done. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's so good. You know, uh, I know we're up against the clock here, but uh, Brother Graham, I just, I just felt to ask you this question. If, if a young person is watching uh, this broadcast right now and they're contemplating whether or not God's got a call on their life and whether or not the Lord's looking to, to use them in a very special way, what would you say to that individual so that that person could pursue whether or not uh, God's got a, a special place for them uh, in the kingdom of God? Well, let me let me. OK, so let me start with a broad answer that the question is, you're con- you know, if you're contemplating, does God have a special calling on my life? The answer to that is yes. Yes. Period. For every one of us. Now, whether or not that calling is to preach behind a pulpit 
it is another matter entirely for you to uh, seek out with good counsel from your pastor and under his leadership. But is there a special calling on your life to do something great for God? Categorically, absolutely, no question. The answer is yes. How to pursue that, how to, how to seek that out, um, profound uh, submission to your pastor, to your man of God, uh, as he guides you, a willingness to serve in any capacity he asks you to serve in right now, not just waiting for some grandiose day when, when, the, when the great thing God wants you to do arises. You will notice that long before David ever killed Goliath on that battlefield in front of the eyes of the nation, he was out there killing lions and bears and tending sheep when nobody even was paying attention to him. When the other six brothers were all lined up in the house, hoping that Sam was going to pull oil on their heads. David is out on the other side of the hill watching the sheep, killing lions and bears. So you have to be willing to do the the, the service-oriented things, whatever your pastor asks you to be involved in uh, now. Uh, integrity, maintain your integrity, uh, develop and hone your walk with God. Uh, um, the the elements of just prayer and reading his Bible and walking with God and fasting and seeking him, there is no shortcut to those kinds of things. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I, I just, in short, I, I'm wondering just a little bit with this answer, but I would say that if you're wondering, am I called to do something great for God? Yes. Yes. Absolutely. You're called to win. You're called to teach Bible studies and win the lost. And that's, that's great. So are you called to do something great for God? Without question. What that will look like? what form that will take on, how that will be shaped will depend greatly upon your pastor's counsel and how God orders your steps. Exactly. I I guess the other thing I would offer is don't get impatient. Um, Don't, don't get antsy and say, well, but you know, I've, I've been feeling like this since I was 12 and now I'm, I'm 17 and I haven't, I haven't, I haven't preached anywhere yet. That's okay. Mm -hmm. Don't short circuit God's plan by, by getting out ahead of him. Be patient, submitted to your pastor, and let God develop and grow you uh, and and do the things you can do right now as you and, and then you'll be prepared for the doors that God opens later. We the principle of scripture is very clear. You you remain faithful over a few things, I'll make you ruler over many. It doesn't work the other way around. Mm-hmm. So stay faithful in the things you're called to do right now. You say, Well, right now, you know, I'm I'm a seventeen years old. All God's got me doing right now is I clean the bathrooms and I'm an assistant Sunday school teacher in the primary Sunday school class. Fantastic. Then make those bathrooms the cleanest smelling bathrooms in your city mm-hmm. and make that Sunday school class the cleanest, neatest, best run group of kids that they could possibly be. And when you commit yourself faithfully to doing what God has you doing right now with excellence and with spirituality and with humility, then God will begin to open doors further along. But don't be don't be disquieted or uncomfortable or frustrated by the where you are right now. Reach people with the gospel. You can be teaching a Bible study to somebody right now. And, uh, and, and as you do those things now, that just grooms you and prepares you for what God's going to have you do later on. Yeah. You know, the Bible says without a vision, the people perish. And yesterday we were talking to Bishop Bernard, and he was talking about the importance of vision as a, as a leader. You know, going forward, uh, Brother Graham, where do you see us five years from now? Five years from now. Well, I do think this this whole pandemic thing will be behind us, certainly by that time. Um, what it will look like in a year is a little more uncertain. You know, will there be a vaccine out that's changed all that? You know, I don't know. 
take five years from now, we will settle into certainly whatever that new normal looks like on a societal level. Um, but I just continue to cling to the idea that when we go through uncharted waters, that's not to lead us into the wilderness. That uncharted water thing leads us into a promised land. Mm. So I, I would, I would be despondent. I think if I didn't really believe that the church is going to advance, that our churches are going to grow. I think we're going to see more and more people that come out of this with a, with an intense hunger and desire. I think the people of the church are going to be so passionate and excited about coming back to church that there, there's going to be a, a, a wave of energy that's going to be drawing people. I do believe exactly what you said. I've heard this from so many people. We have totally untouched guests, just, just people that we, nobody reached that are just, that are reaching out to the church right now. And, and I think we're going to see a wave of that where I see the church in five years. I think we're going to be more committed to personal evangelism because of this season we're in right now, probably than we have been before. And to, if that, if, if we can let the Holy ghost accomplish that in us, this will be worth every bit of it on the, on the collective level. Again, I'm not minimizing anyone's individual loss. But, but collectively, this will be whatever we've gone through right now. If it, if it, if we allow what I said earlier, if we as the church will take the things that this has forced us to do better and continue those in the church setting going forward, man, I, I think we're gonna, I think we're gonna come out of this thing and go, wow, look, there's that promised land we've been we've been looking for for a while. Amen. Amen. Brother Grave, you've been so kind and gracious with your time. Thank you so much for joining us tonight. This has been so rich, so powerful. Do you mind just closing us out by just praying over us and asking God's hand to be upon each and every one of us? Absolutely. Thank you. It's been an honor. Lord Jesus, I want to thank you for great men and women who are watching this this webcast right now. You have strategically positioned us. You allowed us to be born in this season knowing that 2020 was going to have this kind of component in it. You positioned us in the church where we are. You positioned us in the ministry role where we are for this season. You knew it best for each of these individuals to be serving in the location and in the capacity that they are right now for this time. Mm. And I thank you for that kind of providence. That's We're not here by accident. So now, God, I pray that you would expand the ministry footprint of these people, that you would expand their influence in their church, in their community, in their neighborhood, in their family. I ask in the name of Jesus, certainly your protection and blessing over them. Protect them from the immediate effects of this virus. Protect their loved ones and families, I pray. But on a more kingdom level, God, I pray that you would prosper their ministry roles. For those who teach uh, Bible studies, for those who are engaged in webcasting of services, for pastors that may be engaged in this thing. Lord, I pray that you would bless their congregations and bless their churches. Help us, Lord, to grow and develop in this time and to take with us out of this, Lord, every lesson you want us to learn and every way we can be better for your kingdom. Yes. Lord, when we come back together, when you orchestrate that, and when, when our culture allows that, I pray we would bring these new lessons and new developments in our character and our skill set together, and that we would serve your kingdom, build your church, grant us unprecedented outreach in our community, unprecedented revival. But Lord, when it's all done, let your name be the only name that gets glory. Yes. I pray you'd be honored by it. Yes. Build your church. You'll be gracious enough to use us in that process. We will be so thankful. Bless these folks, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. 
Well, you've been listening to Brother Scott Graham, and as he's ministered to us, I know the Lord has also ministered to you, and I just pray that you would take these words and not just be hearers of the word, but doers of the word also. Apply these principles to your life and let the Lord direct you and keep you. I just pray that all of you would be safe in your homes. We look forward to joining you again tomorrow night as we interview uh, Brother Raymond Woodward, pastor of Capital Community Church up in Frederick, New Brunswick. You'll be blessed by that as well. Now, be safe. God bless you and keep you. And we'll see you again in Jesus' name. Praise the Lord, everyone. I want to thank you for joining us here at East Wind Pentecostal Church. And we want you to know that if you'd like to be baptized in Jesus' name, we can do that for you today. We can do it here at the church. We have a baptismal here at the church. We'll even come to your home if you have a swimming pool. We can baptize you in your swimming pool. It's that important for us to help you to be baptized in Jesus' name. We also want you to know that if you'd like to learn more about the Word of God, more about the Bible, that we have experienced teachers that can come to your home, teach you a home Bible study. We can even do a video chat. Whatever works for you, we want you to know that we're here for you. Also, very important, if you need prayer, we have prayer teams that can come to your house, pray for you at your home, or you can even send in your prayer request here to the church. We just want you to know that we're here for you and that we want to do anything that we can to help you in these trying times with your walk with the Lord. You can visit us at www.eastwind.church and our phone number is 321-723-2030. God bless you.